it all comes down to this. The one thing. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? It feels good in here and terrible out there. <laughs> it's funny, uh, us Washington people, we're kind of a fickle bunch because in the winter, we're like, oh, it's so cold. Bring on the sun. And then the sun comes, we're like, oh, it's so gross. Get it away, get it away. And we just go back and forth and back and forth. So uh, wherever you land, if you like it cold or hot, we're really excited that you're here. We got room for both types of people. So how about that? Um, if we've never met, my name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm excited for our time this morning. We're gonna go through this series called The One thing, and we're going to talk about something that is very important today. But uh, before we jump into it, quick question, because I think all of us have experienced this on some level. I notice it primarily in my kids, but I've done it as well. But have you ever been in a situation where you found yourself asking the question like, how old do I have to be until I can, and you, you fill in the blank, right? It could be vote, it could be um, drive, it could be you know, lower car insurance, it, it, it could be all sorts of stuff. But for me, what I find most often is I'm driving in the car with my son, Nolan, and he's seven right now, and he's looking at signs and he's asking questions, and so it's hot out, right? And if you drive by uh, Lake Wacom, you'll see so many people on boats and jet skis like, Dad, how old do I have to be to be on one of those and then go drive one of those? I'm like, I have no, 35. Like, I have no idea, buddy. Good luck, you know. I'm, in my mind, I'm like, stay seven. Just stay seven, you know. Um, we'll drive through town and on the gas stations. He's like, Dad, what is three, two, five M? What does that mean? And I'm like, that's 325 million. Dad, how old do I have to be before I can have 325 million? I'm like, son, you got to marry into that. Like, I have no idea. <laughs> Good luck, buddy. So well, can I buy a ticket? I'm like, I don't know. We should have a sermon about that. I don't know, you know? But it, it, listen, we've all asked this question. What we're really trying to figure out is like, how old do I have to be or how long until I get to the next thing, the next step, that next thing where I arrive, right? And, and again, growing up, this is easier because you have milestones. But as adults, you know, we got to work a little bit harder, but we still have it. So like if you're dating right now, you might be wondering, how much longer do I have to date until I can actually propose? And the answer to that is, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what the number is. You tell us, you know, we have all these different milestones, you know, uh, it, when you're married and you're like, okay, how long before like our marriage actually goes to like that next level, right? And if you're acquaintances, you're like, okay, how long until we no longer are acquaintances and we're actually friends or we're even dating? And then some of you are like, how long do we have to date before I can like kick you out of here? Like I'm done. I don't want it. But we all have these questions of like, how long until the next thing? How much money do I have to save until I can afford this trip? How much longer in my career am I going to be at this until I get to the next thing? How much longer are my kids going to be like this? How much longer do I have to wait for my neighbor to mow their lawn? I don't know, whatever it is, right? We all have these questions because we're all searching for that next thing. And so for my son, Nolan, he wants to be a millionaire with a lot of zeros attached to it. You know, he wants to go above and beyond that. But we all have these things in our life where we go, okay, what is the next thing? And what we're doing is we're measuring the distance between who we are today and what we want to be tomorrow. 
And we're trying to figure out that gap. How long do I have to wait? How much time is gonna go by before that gap is now closed and I'm at the spot, I've arrived. And we do this, like I said, throughout every aspect of our life, but we also do this in our relationship with Jesus. And let me explain. Many of us, we've been walking with Jesus for quite some time, and yet it still feels like, if we're honest, and you're you know, in church before God, so you gotta be honest. If we're honest, at times we can feel like, man, the majority of the time when I pray, I feel like I'm talking to the ceiling. How much longer do I have to walk with Jesus before I no longer feel that way? Some of you, you've been struggling with addictions your whole life, and you've come to know Jesus, and you're waiting for that time, that moment where you are no longer, well, the addiction's no longer in control of you. You have self-control, you are free from that. Some of you, you're walking with Jesus and you're like, how much longer do I have to walk with Jesus before my life becomes easier? Where things get simple and this blessed life that I hear everyone talking about, how much longer do I have to walk with Jesus before I feel that way? And it goes on and on and on. How much longer do I have to read the Bible or how many more times do I have to read the Bible until this thing makes sense to me? We're trying to measure the distance from who we are today to who we want to be Tomorrow, we're trying to measure spiritual growth. Measuring our budget is a lot easier. Measuring relationships, although difficult, is still easier. Measuring spiritual growth is challenging. My, my in-laws, my wife will tell this story, but uh, growing up, they had the pantry door, and if you open the, the door, that little wall right there, that little narrow wall, it's funny, they've painted, but they left the original paint there. There's all these tally marks, all these hash marks and dates and little names written next to it so you can see the progression of the kids. And I'm like, yeah, there's my wife, just growing, 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 right? And then now they've started it with the grandkids too. So it, it's a mess. You can't read anything, but it's beautiful because you can see the progression along the way. They've measured the growth. When it comes to our spirituality and growing spiritually, it is very difficult to measure because it's not just a linear process. If we're honest, it's a messy process. It's two steps forward, 12 steps back, five forward, one back, 45 forward. It's all over the map. And depending on the day, there's progress or there's not progress. Am I right? Like when the weather is perfectly warm, it's a beautiful day and praise the Lord, God bless everybody. But when it's wicked hot, We'll see. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not even noon. We'll, we'll see what happens later in the day as it gets hotter and hotter. You can measure those things, but in our spiritual journey, it's a little bit more challenging than that. So we're really asking two very simple questions here. The first one is how do we grow spiritually? And the second one is what we're gonna talk about today. They're, they're tied together, but the second one is this. How do we measure spiritual growth? Because if we can learn how to grow spiritually, there ought to be a way to measure it. And there is a way to measure it. And Paul is going to give us two very specific examples that we're going to use and hopefully apply today into our lives. So with that being said, and that as kind of the foundation here, open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. I'll set the context here in a second. But first, the shameless plug. Um, I'm, I'm teaching the starting line with, with Sarah, and it is a wonderful class. And if you've ever been confused on spiritual growth, the difference between certain Bible translations or how come Christian culture is kind of weird, but I love it, but it's also weird, but I love it, but it's also, we're weird, right? But we love it. If you've been concerned or you have questions or if you've doubted or anything, I want to encourage you, man, come to this class. It's five weeks long. We'll hang out and we cover this question right here, how do we actually measure spiritual growth? It's a big deal. Okay, shameless plug over, but seriously, go register, go do, join the class, hang out with us on Tuesday. Shameless plug over, back to our scheduled program. First Corinthians, are you there? First Corinthians chapter three. Now, reminder, this is a crazy city. 
It is a super sexualized culture. It is a metropolitan town. People are coming here for business and travel and luxury and vacation and uh, wild living, if you will. It is this hub. And in this crazy town, there's a church that Paul has planted. Just boop, just drops it right in the middle, right there in that town. And the church is just as screwed up as the city is. And you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, there ought to be a difference. And Paul's going, there isn't much of a difference. And yet, and yet... God's still using this church to bless the community. And I always thought that was a little bit strange of like, God, this is a sinful church. They're not, you know, they're not loving you. They're not loving people. They're dishonoring you. And yet God is still blessing them. And then I get reminded, oh yeah, Steve, hold up the mirror. (laughs) Same is true in your life, buddy, you know? And so it's the same thing here. And so remember, this is going on. And Paul, before we get to chapter three, he's gonna say, now there are three types of people. There are people who know God. There are people who obviously, the flip side, don't know God. And then there's the third. And I love the third because for a large part of my life, that was me. It's these people. Those who know God, but don't live like it. That was me for the majority of my life. I knew God. I grew up in church. Please, I know all the answers. But living like it, we'll see. We'll see. And it's to these people, the third one on the list, that Paul is addressing in this section that we're looking at this morning. And so he's saying, you know God, you have all the tools for growth, yet your life isn't different. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have all the potentials. You got the community around you. Your church was started by Paul the Apostle. I mean, you got the Holy Spirit and you got Paul right there. In my mind, that's the one-two punch. Like, what more do you need, you know? You got it right there, and yet there's no difference, so what are we doing? So Paul addresses them and he sets the stage. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. We pick it up right here. He says this. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere, what's that word? Infants. Infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still... Still what? I mean, even in the back, you're like, "Hmm." you're still worldly. Come on, chime in, chime in, chime in. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Worldly. Hey, there we go. All right, cool. He's saying, look, I would love to go and talk about the deep and the profound things of Christ. I mean, absolutely. We're talking about Jesus Christ. We're talking about God in the flesh here. There are some deep and profound things, but he's like, I can't because you're still drinking from the bottle. You're still infants. And around this time, the church is roughly six years old old. And Paul's going, you're a six-year-old, and yet you're still in diapers. We're still talking about things that that infants are dealing with here. It's been six years. Now, how many of you know, if you wore the same diaper for six years, that starts to stink after a while, doesn't it? To the point where not only can everyone else smell it, but you can smell it. It's basically, it, it reminds me of this. Here, check this out. Can you read it? Only a few thousand more before I'm potty trained. This is what Paul is saying. Now, a fair warning. Uh, This is Paul writing. This is not me. So don't get mad at me. Get mad at Paul. But Paul is about to, uh, he's going to throw down um, in a biblically and loving sort of way. But it's going to be tough. But listen, Paul's sitting here saying, you're infants. And how many more of these do I have to change until you grow up? You should be six. We should be talking about more advanced things, more profound things, and yet we're still stuck at this stage. It is, well, development has been arrested. It is not growing. We're not progressing. There ought to be a difference between the Corinthian church, 
and the town of Corinth. And yet there isn't. We are still infants. We're still worldly. And so he sets the stage and he says, look, there's a problem here. We have to address this. And he reminds him, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. The Spirit of God living inside of you. You are a church. You can rally together. Come on. Paul the Apostle has planted this thing. You got no excuse. And so it's a little, it's abrupt. It's a little bit like, okay, let's all take out the mirror and look at ourselves and have that come to Jesus meeting of how am I doing really? Is there a difference in my life? Really? Has Jesus changed me? Really? I mean, this is what Paul is laying out. And his conclusion is, nope, still infants. I still have diapers that need to be changed. And, and let's be honest for a second. Can we, because we're in church before God, again, we, we have to do this. Um, not a show of hands, but, but how many of us have been walking with Jesus and we've kind of stalled out? Do, do you know what I mean? Like you pray the prayer and then you're, you're on fire for a year, two years, three years, four or five, I don't know, however long. And then life just kind of kicks in, doesn't it? And, and you know, maybe you get distracted, you got something going on in the family and it, it's important and significant. And so you deal with that. And then, you know, it's, it's summer, the weather's nice. And so, yeah. What Paul's saying is there ought to be a difference. And so listen, here's the kind of the checklist we can just run through mentally in our brains. There ought to be a difference between Christians and their social media content and the world and their social media content. There ought to be a difference that way. Christians ought to use their finances differently than people who don't know Jesus. You would think that Christians would be more generous than people who do not know Jesus. Why? Because our God is incredibly generous and we follow him. And so what he does, we want to do. That, that's who we are. And Paul's going through the list. He's like, your marriage needs to be different than the world's marriage. Your relationships, all these things need to be different. The fear and anxiety and depression and the stress that you experience, that ought not to be there because you follow and worship and are fully loved by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's got the whole world in his hands. You're okay. You know this. The world doesn't know this yet. There ought to be a difference. And so Paul's gonna transition. He says, look, we're, you're still infants. I, we, we can't go to the other things. So I need to help you grow spiritually. And here's two tools or two topics that you can use as a, as a measuring tape or a ruler, so to speak, and measure your progress. So he transitions, verse three. He says this. He says, you are still worldly, for since there is, what is that word? What is it? There's jealousy and... Think of like squabbling and arguing and fights and like nitpicking and just that, that's what quarreling. Okay, among you, are you not worldly? He says, Corinth does that. that they're known for that stuff, but the church, the church is different. He, said, he says, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, listen, I follow Paul and another says, well, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings. It's this idea that spiritual maturity does not coexist with jealousy and quarreling in the body of Christ. I put it this way in your notes. Spiritual growth is measured by how I handle my relationships. Amen. Amen. Here's the deal. I did that last service too. I get excited and hit things. I'll throw the table over in a couple minutes. Um, I always thought growing up, spiritual maturity was about biblical memorization. And if I had chapter and verse down, then I would go and just follow through on it. I mean, after all, like I, I grew up going to Awana, right? Like you memorize the verse, you say the thing, you get the gold star on your chart, like boy. 
positive reinforcement, right? But when I was in school and I was getting picked on by the school bully and I decided to keep my mouth shut because Jesus would have me do that instead of just destroy someone with my words, I, there was no gold star. In fact, no one knew. And listen, I don't have anything against the one. I think we all need a good biblical foundation and we should all memorize scripture. I'm just saying, it's based on our relationships because we all know, listen, listen, we all know people who know their Bible, don't they? But they do not live like it. They can quote chapter and verse all day, but they are jerks. (laughs) No one wants to be around them. They're grumpy. You talk about the joy of the Lord, they don't have it. One of these things is not like the other. You know what I mean? Like you have to have, just because you have biblical knowledge does not mean that you're actually acting on that knowledge. Listen, I know people who can quote chapter and verse like crazy, but they are angry. They do not have a loving relationship with their spouse. They're racist, they're prejudiced, but they can quote chapter and verse and gosh darn it, their doctrine, bulletproof. But you're not loving Kurt mentioned it earlier. He quoted Jesus and Jesus said two things. If you want the two most important things any Christian can do is to love God and love people. Biblical Bible memorization is not on that list. Now hear me out. Given the option, you should memorize the Bible. It's good to have that stuff in your mind and in your soul so you can recall it. But given the choice, would I rather you memorize passages in the Bible or go, go love your neighbor sacrificially? I want you to love your neighbor sacrificially all the time because it's that important. Spiritual growth is measured by how I handle my relationships, not the amount of knowledge I have nor the length that I have followed Jesus. I always thought, man, you know the people who've been following Jesus forever and when they pray, you're like, you pray and you sound like you know Jesus and Jesus knows you. You ever ever experienced that or been around those people? And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like, I wanna be that person. And so I I was always envious of that. Don't you just hate it? You're in small group and you're just, you're new at this and you're like, okay, don't ask me to pray. Don't ask me, don't ask me, don't ask me. And they're like, Steve, why don't you close in prayer? And you're like, ah! Then you're new, you're trying to figure it out. So you go, all right, dearest heavenly father, we beseech thee this day for mercies of traveling and build a hedge around us so we can, thank you for the food, amen. (laughs) Like you just, you fumble your way through it and it's so awkward and you're like, oh man. But with any relationship, what? It, It takes some time, but hear me out. Time doesn't always guarantee spiritual maturity, but spiritual maturity needs time. You need time to mature, but that's not necessarily automatically gonna make you a mature follower of Jesus Christ. Paul lists two things. The first one is jealousy. He's like, look, some of you are following Apollos, some of you are following Paul, and you're jealous at the position that God has them in, meaning you wanna be in their seat, and you think that God is blessing their life when he should be blessing your life. And you get jealous because they're doing those things. And you're like, well, God, what about me? I've been more obedient. I've known you longer. I've surrendered more things. That person, they're new. They just got here. And Paul goes, you're jealous. You can stop it. You can't do that. There's no room for this. It, it's the example of second, of second violin. Uh, you ever see movies or maybe you've been to a show or like an or, where you have the orchestra pit and you have everyone there. You've got the whole, the whole band is there. And it's, imagine you've lived your whole life. And people have looked at you and said, the way you play violin is incredible. There's no one as good as you. And you've grown up this way and you've gotten trophies this way. You've been receiving awards this way from just a little itty bitty thing all the way up, all the way up. And you're like, man, you're incredible. And so you show up to the band, to the orchestra and you try out for your position and you're like, 
I'm first chair material. I am first chair material. I have been first chair material my whole life and I'm just gonna continue on. And the conductor goes, hey, great job. I'm gonna put you in second chair. And you go, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, do, do you know me? I could show you my wallet at home with all my ribbons and posters and trophies. Like, this is who I am. People have told me I'm first chair material. Did you not hear what I just did? I'm first chair. Put me in first chair. And he goes, hey, uh, that's great. And the conductor goes, I just, I need you in second chair. That's how, you're gonna make this band better if you're in second chair. And you say, no, 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 I'm first chair material. I'm entitled to this. This is who I am. He goes, no, I need you here. I'm gonna use this person for chair one. And the right response as it relates to God's kingdom is could we just be happy that we got picked to play in the band? And not be jealous of the person that gets chair number one because God has chair number one for them, but he's got a different path for you. Amen. And this is what's happening in the church where they're looking at other people going, well, I can't believe God is using them. How come they got the promotion and this, that, and the other? And Paul's just going, hey, you're in the band. Amen. How awesome is that? You've been playing violin your whole life and now you get to play it in the band. This is incredible. You should be excited. You got picked. Praise the Lord. And we go. Mmm. So jealousy. He's like, you can't, you can't do it. No room for jealousy. And the second one is this quarreling. It's fights. It's arguing. It's squabbling with one another over things. Some of them even important. But listen to this. Quick sidebar. You can write this down. But this is really important. Anytime Christians fight, it's a sign of spiritual immaturity. Even if it's important. He goes to this list. He goes, okay, you've got all these things. You should be doing this, but you're not. You're infants because you have issues with jealousy and you fight all the time. Are you not worldly, mere human beings? Listen, anytime you and I fight, it is a sign of our spiritual immaturity, even if it's important. And I know some of you, you're like, because I can see you, you're like this. <laughs> and online, you're just typing furiously. I can hear it from here. <laughs> what about doctrine? What about correct theology? What about naming sin, sin? We can have conversations. We can have dialogues. We can even disagree. But fighting, we're not allowed to do it. When we fight, we are just like people who do not have the Holy Spirit in their soul. And Paul goes, it cannot be this way. Uh, the, the first week when we kicked it off, I gave you a list of things that we fight over. Just a quick review. I'm not going to preach on them, but this is really important. Bible teachers and pastors, we all have our favorites. The books we read, the books we don't read. Denominations, there's a bajillion of them. Styles of worship music and church buildings. I like their car carpet. Their carpet's too old. I like their coffee. Their coffee's not great. Theirs looks like a mall. Theirs looks like a, a church with the steeple. It's all preference, right? It keeps going. There's more. Dress codes, <laughs> media consumption. You can watch these movies, but not those movies. You can read these magazines, but not those. You can go to those websites, but not those. We, we fight over these things. And Paul goes, stop it. Conversations, dialogues, disagreement. But arguing and quarreling, we are just like people who do not know Jesus. And listen, these are all important. These are all important. But what's more important is the unity in the church and us getting along and reflecting the love that God has for us to each other. This is a big, big deal. So here we go. The second thing, spiritual maturity is measured by how I handle my relationships and my posture in God's 
kingdom. Basically, it comes down to this. When I show up to church, am I there because I want God to bless me and all my needs and preferences are being met at this church? Or am I showing up to church because I'm excited to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and I want to learn more how I can be like him and how he loves me unconditionally? Two very different things, but spiritual maturity is measured by your posture at church. It's very important. And when you're going into the workplace, it's all about posture, it's perspective, it's your attitude. Listen to how he describes it. Verse five, he says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you have, or through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers with God's, or co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. And then he's going to transition into another example, God's building. You, you read that passage and you get the idea that Paul and Apollos, they're just servants. It's all about Jesus. It is all about God. And when we make it about people that are on staff, on platforms, or greeting us, or whatever, we've missed it because we are all just servants. And he says, it's all about God. We have our own part to play. Some plant, some water, some do this, some do that. But it is God who brings the growth. And so the question for you and I is, what is our posture as we live in the kingdom of God? Is it, I'm just so excited to be in the band. Jesus, what would you have for me this morning? Or is it, I should be in that seat? And the coffee was too hot. The music was too loud. I can't wait till so-and-so is up there leading. I like it when this person prays. I like it when that person reads the Bible. What, what is our posture? You want to talk about spiritual maturity, spiritual growth? It's how do we treat people and what's our posture in the kingdom of God? When we're about all these other things, we're walking around in diapers and they stink. They smell very bad. Back in Corinth, right? Just imagine for a moment you're in Corinth, right? You're trying to understand and live in the context, right? So you got this older guy who's there basically from the beginning and he's leading the church and he grew up in the community in Corinth and everybody knows him and everybody likes him. It's just a small group there that's like, yeah, that's, this is great. Let's get behind this guy. And then comes this new guy. He's younger. He's like way more handsome. He's from a far distant land. He wears flip-flops when he preaches and has a stool and a chair and a TV and large groups of people love him. I'm just setting the scene. Paul, Apollos. Is not... um, I bring it up jokingly, but do you know how easy it is when you have two main communicators to divide a church and we can start picking sides and having our favorites? And each side will claim that the other one is more um, deep or can learn better. Paul goes, infants, and those diapers stink. Wait, listen, listen. We're, we're not trying to build a church based off of personality. Amen. We're building a church based off of Jesus. And what's so great, and we should have like way more communicators and way more worship people and way more greeters and parking people and people and kids and other buildings and everybody serving and everybody leading because the idea is that it takes a church to run a church. And when we function this way and we are all servants and we're all on this level as servants, then when people who come in who are curious about God, they can see God and not the personalities. 
That's a big, big deal. And Paul goes, we're not gonna divide over these things. Apollos had his role and I had his role, but it is God that makes the church grow. It is God that does the spiritual growth. It is God that is moving hearts and reaching souls. It is God, it is not the people. But we could divide over a thousand different things, couldn't we? And we could all claim because it's better and stronger and more spiritually honoring to God. And Paul goes, no, it's not. And all the while the church in Corinth is arguing about these things, in the background, Paul goes, by the way, just remember, there's gonna come a day, a point in time where where Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna judge our actions and motives. Whoops, forgot about that. Listen, listen to what he says. He says, uh, verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid the foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ, right? So you start with Jesus. Paul did his thing, Apollos did his thing. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, it's the day of judgment, will bring, light, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So he's saying, I don't need doctrine police. We don't need watchdogs for Jesus. He says, let God handle all the judging because there will come a point in time if this is false teaching or if this is God honoring teaching, the Lord is going to make it known. We don't need to divide against one another and start quarrels and be jealous of different camps. He said, we simply come together and have conversation. Hey, you said this and I, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. Could you, could you show me where you got that? That's totally different than like, this is an abomination. And do you see what I'm saying? Paul goes, let God handle all these things. Verse 14, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will, will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through flames. Now he's talking about Paul and Paul's church leaders. He's gonna shift and talk to the church as individuals, as we make up a community. So hang, hang with me. He says this, don't you, he's gonna ask a question, don't you, but listen, this you is, uh, anyone from Texas? Y'all. All y'all. <laughs> so he says, don't all y'all know that all y'alls, y'alls are God's temple <laughs> and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So you and I, this church, we make up God's temple. God's spirit is dwelling here. Yes, we have his spirit in us individually. Paul's gonna talk about that later in the chapter, but he's saying as a community, the temple is here. God's spirit is here dwelling in the temple. When we divide, we destroy the temple and God goes, not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. And the measure you use to go and disrupt and vandalize and destroy the church, God will use it against you. It's an equal measure. This is a very big deal. See, spiritual maturity is measured by how I handle my relationships and my posture in God's kingdom, which begs the million dollar question, what should my posture be and how should I handle relationships? Two very simple, practical steps. You ready? Are you ready? You're gonna sit here and go, why don't you just say that from the beginning? It's because I like to talk. You're like, yeah, I know. Um, here we go. Number one, get along with others. Amen. Spiritually mature people, and you want to measure your spiritual, magro- your spiritual growth, so how well do you get along with people that you don't like you and that you don't like? That's a mature Christian. Spiritually mature Christians obey what they already know. 
They know that there's certain sin in their life and they have to deal with it. They don't push, push that aside and just go pursue the scriptures for some deeper knowledge that they can already act upon. They, they deal with the issue, with the thing that they're struggling with. And so for, uh, just imagine for a moment, imagine if each and every one of us did this. I know, I don't think it's a pipe dream. I think we can actually do it. And I think Paul was talking to the Corinthians and saying, you should be doing it. I know you can do this. But imagine, what if we all got along there were no quarrels. Sure, we disagreed and we saw things differently, but like, we loved each other. We all got along. And what if each and every one of us, we just acted on what we already knew? Some of us know that like, man, we should spend time in prayer and we should read our Bible, but we are so busy. What if we just acted on that and said, maybe I've got some issues with priorities. What if I no longer did this so I had more time to do this? Some of us, we have bitterness in our soul and we're reminded of it every Sunday because we see someone and we, we remember what they did to us 10 years ago. You don't need a new step of obedience or learn some new knowledge about Jesus. You, you need to reconcile the relationship. There needs to be forgiveness. There needs to be, I don't know, mutual love. Amen. We, have, we have to not have quarrels and fights among each other. We have to get along with one another and we have to act on what we all Ready? No. And when you go, okay, because you're cynical like me, you're like, well, how am I going to learn? Because I only know this much, and Jesus knows like everything. So how do I go from here to here? There will be other people that the thing that they have learned about the Bible is they need to go and encourage you to grow in your faith. But listen, they'll do it in a way where you can receive it, and you won't have to be defensive. Because I feel like I, maybe it's just me. I don't think it is, but. Have you ever been to those conversations where like, hey, I just need to let you know, and immediately like, you're, uh, you, the wall goes up and the posture changes and you're like, okay, here we go. And they hit you with something and you're like, mm, they're right. But did you know that you do this? <laughs> what if we didn't have to do that at all? What if we just sat there because we had a mutual relationship and we were all on the same page and we said, I think you're right. I'm gonna pray about that and actually pray about it and I'm gonna look into it. Thanks for having my back because we're all trying to push each other to Jesus, to live more and more like Jesus. What, what if that was normal? And I'm convinced that Paul is convinced that it should be. It could be that when we don't act this way, we're just like the world who does not have the Holy Spirit. And we're walking around in our diapers and they stink. And the world can smell it and they don't want to be a part of it. This is a big, big deal. I'm convinced this isn't some pipe dream of what if we all got along and acted obediently on the things we know. I'm convinced we can actually do this. Yes. I know Jesus would have us do this, but you and I, we need his help, don't we? Amen. So let's pray and ask for his help. Father, we come before you. And Lord, I, in my own life, I have so many hangups and things that I am just holding on to that I have not released and given over to you. Father, would you help me do that? I pray that you would put people in my life that will encourage me, that will guide me, motivate me, teach me in the ways that I'm stubborn or in my blind spots. I pray, Lord, for our church that we would be known not as people who just, you know, can relate chapter and verse and just have everything memorized, not people with great biblical knowledge, Lord, but people with great biblical knowledge and we act on that knowledge. This isn't just a game and things that we love to talk and quote to one another. This has radically changed our lives. And because of that, Father, I pray that it radically changes our community. 
When people look at us, they don't see necessarily perfect people, but they see people that are clinging to your son, Jesus Christ, and it is him that has made all the difference. I pray, Lord, that this would continue to be a safe place where people who don't know Jesus and are searching for hope, they can come here and they can feel welcomed as they are. Father, help us to get along with everybody and help us to encourage each other to be obedient on the things we already know to do. We wanna be better and healthier than the church in Corinth. We don't wanna be infants. We want the deep, profound mysteries of the kingdom. God is Father. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Hey, would you stand with me? We're gonna close by singing one last song.